morning, and you get a phone call that a family in our church uh, was camping up in, in Pingree Park, so up the, up the Poudre Canyon, and they're camping, and on Friday night, their three-year-old wandered off in the woods. And imagine with me for a second that, that the call is the call out for a search party. And so you're like, man, I love that little kid. I taught that kid in, in, in kids' church. I love that family. I'm going to go help find that child. And so you, you, get, you go grab a backpack. You grab your hiking poles. You get your hiking boots. You get, on, you get everything you think that you're going to need to go be a part of this search party and help find this kid. And so you, you run up the canyon. You get there as fast as you can. You pull into the campsite. And when you pull into the campsite... You can't believe what you see. People are, they're, they're cooking breakfast. They've got eggs and bacon and stuff going. There's campfire going. There's people sitting around the campfire warming their hands. There's a few other people over here tossing a Frisbee, playing cornhole. Uh, there's some teenagers over here. They've got their hammocks out, and they're like laying in their enos, not quite ready to go yet. You're like, what in the world? I thought there was a lost kid. And so you step out of the car, and you go, hey, isn't, isn't, isn't there a three-year-old that's lost? And like, yeah. Well, isn't this going to be a search party? Like, yeah, we're, we're just not ready yet. Wait a second. Now, you're sitting there going, that, there's, there's no way that would happen. And so then you go, okay, why are we just sitting here? And so their answer is this. Well, you know, we couldn't get anybody to come be a part of our search party. So we figured out we had to, like, we had to incentivize it. We had to make it attractional to get people to come. And so... Uh, you know, they have the right philosophy. That the way to get people to come to stuff is bacon. It's food, right? That's if, if you've been around our college ministry, yeah, what's the way to a college person's heart? Through their stomach, right? And so we feed them. And it's like, we, we've got to have food. And we, you know, we figured we needed to entertain them, give them some fun options to do. So, you know, we did this to, to attract them here. Okay, you got them here. Now why aren't we looking? Well, when we, when we brought up that it was time to go look, and they started grumbling, they didn't want to leave yet. They weren't quite prepared yet and ready to go. They just needed a little more time to get ready. So we want, our, we, want our, we want to go find our child, but we've got to get the people in the right mood first. Again, you're going, there's just no way that this is a true story. Well, welcome to the American church in 2023. This isn't just a true story. It's a damning story. And it's one that, that is true. And so... As we start today, this is the big truth that I want you to know. This is what I want you to walk away with. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come? We see, we see Paul say this in, in Corinthians. This is scripture. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We're going to be continuing in the book of Luke, chapter 15 this morning. We're going to do verses 1 through 10. Last week, we talked about the cost of discipleship. We talked about what it means to follow Jesus. And so today, we're going to see how important it is that people who do not know Jesus come to know Jesus. Starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, 
He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, these are twin parables. Last week, we also had twin parables. Parables are these stories that you tell that have a, a physical reality uh, to them, right? so that we're able to, to relate to them in real life, but they have a spiritual truth. And so that's what a, a parable is. And so he uses two, two of them, just like last week. And so these two parables are really telling the exact same point. They're making the exact story. Now, uh, if we start looking at these parables, there's an intro that intros us to both parables in verse 15 and verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So, here you have Jesus in his ministry, who, who's come, and, and he's come uh, to, to set the captive free, to restore sight to the blind, to go and do ministry to the needy. It wasn't, wasn't just now the Jewish people. He's made this annunciation at the start of his ministry, this, this announcement. This is what I've come to do. He was up front about it. And so what, what began to happen is those that were far from God were drawn to Jesus and wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They, uh, they pursued af after him. Much of Jesus' ministry started out in the synagogues. And he, was, he would preach and he would teach in the synagogues. But at this point, they've rejected him. He's no longer really welcome in the synagogues, and so he's left, and he's taken to the highways and the byways. He's going, and there's wherever he can sit and preach, he'll sit and preach, and crowds are following. And so, who's coming to listen but the tax collectors and the sinners? Now, this isn't the first time, nor will it be the last time, that this is griped about, that this is made known, that this is who's coming to hear Jesus, the Jewish people. Uh, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the leaders of the people of Israel uh, didn't like what was happening. A tax collector was seen, uh, it often were Jewish people, but they worked for the Roman government. So they were seen as traitors. They were hated. Um, sinners being a, a very, general, uh, very general term, uh, I would be included in that, that, that fold, right? That would, I would look at me and they would be, oh, look at this guy hanging out with Jesus. He's a sinner. Uh, that's you and I in this room. And, and they didn't like it. And so what did the Pharisees do? But they, the scribes, they grumbled, saying this man receives and eats with them. And so here's the first big idea that I want you to see, is that if you are not for God, you are against him. By the way, also scripture. If you're not for God, you're against God. And, and here, here, this is what Jesus is doing, and they're against what Jesus is doing. Now, when we, when we read scripture... Uh, we want to read it, read it rightly. Uh, one of our rules in hermeneutics and the, the, the art of interpreting Scripture is that we have to read it in context. And so we start with its immediate context. We look at it right where it is in the passage. We look at the stories before it and behind it. 
But we also look at it in the context of the book. And so what is this story? Where is the story in the book of Luke? And by the way, I think this this story is really a huge thrust in the book of Luke. That we see Luke's heart and inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing it. He's showing Jesus' work to seek and to save the lost. But we also have to look at it in the context of the whole Bible. The grand narrative of Scripture. And so when we look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we see that the different themes in Bible. Creation, fall, uh, redemption, uh, redemption, new creation. When we look at the, the flow of Scripture, we've got to realize also what's going on. And so, here, uh, God has created man. He created it in His image. They've got Imago Dei, created in the image of God. Humans have uh, value, dignity, worth. Uh, Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden, when they sinned against God, that sin entered the world, and now we live in a broken and fallen world. And so, as we read the Bible, and we read in the rest of Genesis, and we hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God's people, and God uh, bringing those people and calling those people. We see their exodus from, from Egypt as they were in slavery. And like we go throughout and we look at, look at the first and second kings and chronicles. And we, we look at the, the, the fall and the divide of the kingdom of Israel. Like we can go through and we can see the prophets who preached and, and warned the people as they have rebelled against God and struggled against God to turn back from God, we see over and over and over this announcement that there's a Messiah that's going to come. We see throughout Scripture that it wouldn't just be the Israelites, but God is grafting in this other people, the Gentiles. And so when we look at the grand narrative, here's one thing that we've got to realize when we're in this passage. That in the grand narrative... Jesus is leaving the 99 to find the one. And the one are the Gentile people. It is the people who are not Israelites. It is the people who are not walking with God. It, 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 yeah, is it the Jewish person that's not walking with God? Absolutely. But it is not for the righteous or the people who are seeking God that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so we've got to understand that. And so here, Jesus is doing that. It's this separation that, hey... That you guys, the Israelites, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, he's told them over and over and over what he's doing. That he's come to set the captive free. That, that he's, he's come to, set, uh, to, to make the blind able to see, to heal the lame. He's coming to bring healing, to bring salvation. And so, here's what happens. He's doing it, and the whole time he does it, not just in this story, in many stories, they grumble and gripe about it. You know, one of my pastor friends says that you can't really know how spiritually mature a person is until they don't get their way. And a person can show up, and they can act like they're spiritually mature, and they've got this great walk with the Lord, and they know the Lord, and and they're living for the Lord, and then they don't get their way, and they act like a three-year-old. You're like, oh. Now I see who you really are when they, don't get their, when they don't get their way. Well, this was the Pharisees. The Pharisees had an agenda for, for Jesus. They, they, they wanted to see him a certain way, and when they didn't get their way, they, they grumbled, they, they griped, and eventually they would murder him. You're going to notice in this passage, the Pharisees grumbled, but what, what in the parable, what do the people do when they find the lost sheep, when they find the lost coin, what do they do? They rejoice, right? That's the opposite of grumbling. And so, 
I think I can tell a lot about your walk with Christ by knowing, are you somebody who rejoices in what the Lord is doing? Or are you grumble about what the Lord is doing? Do, 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 do you show up today at church and you know, this, this morning's first service, we started off, it had some hiccups. The sound was going all funky and it was a little loud. And do you walk away going, man, they didn't have whatever figured out. It was too loud. The music was too loud, whatever. Are you walking away going, man, that baptism was awesome. It was great to see so many kids in the front of the church. It was, it was great to see life change. Like, are you grumbling? Or are you rejoicing in what God is doing? And that should look, you should look at yourself and go, am I grumbling or am I rejoicing at what is God's doing? Am I for what God is doing or am I, am I against what God is doing? When um, I started out in ministry, I started out as a, a student pastor. My first job was a middle school pastor and then over all the student ministry, then I got boring and old and became the executive pastor. And when I was a student pastor, and we first started in middle school ministry, uh, man, I just had tons of energy and tons of zeal, and I, we were just going after the one. We talk about the 99 to find the one. I was like, I'm not just worried about the church kid. Yeah, we're going to disciple, but I'm going, out, I'm going after the kids far from Christ. And so, man, we were involved in the public school. Uh, there were three schools in our, high schools in our town, and um, I, was, I, was, I was a character coach for FCA in different sports. I'd, I'd do uh, football and, and wrestling and baseball. and uh, I, we, we were just at stuff all the time. When we were going after kids who were far from Christ. We wanted to see kids far from Christ come to know Christ. And so um, in all of that, uh, this, this one family, they had, they had three boys in our student ministry. And they began to grumble and complain as lost kids came to church, as we changed things at church, as we went hard after kids, they began to grumble and complain. And this was a, uh, this was a homeschool family, and not to knock homeschool families. There's great ways to educate your kids, and homeschooling is one of those great options. But their point in homeschooling was, was 100% to keep their kids separated from the world. It wasn't that, hey, I think I can give my kid a better education, or this is a fit for our family, this is what the Lord's calling us to do. It was like... I don't want my kid around the heathen. We're righteous, we're separated, we're to be holy, we're to be set apart. I don't want them around the heathen. And now all of a sudden, you're bringing heathens to church. And so I can't, keep, I can't bring my kids to church without them being around sinners. Like, lady, you just don't understand. Have you been around your kids? They're pretty good at it. And so um, she began to, to gripe, and, and here's the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, one of, one of our interns uh, at the time, he like w wanted to take some pallets and make some pallet furniture, and I let him. I was like, you know, it was cool at the time, early 2000s, pallet furniture was cool. It was an awful idea. It was incredibly un uncomfortable, and you get splinters when you sat down. It was, and, and, and she goes, your youth room looks like a bar, and I don't want my kids to be comfortable in a bar. And I'm like... This ain't a very nice bar. <laughs> like, this is, if this is supposed to be like a bar, we're failing miserably. Uh, this isn't working. And they left. They left our church. And they bounced around. They could never find a church that met all their little idiosyncrasies, all, did all of their little things. And I'll tell you, it's a real tragedy. Because none of those three boys know the Lord or walk with the Lord. Their lives are in shambles, complete mess, a couple of them. Our family was hiking. This was right before we moved. We were hiking. 
And we came out of the Red River Gorge and, and we went to this place called Miguel's, a pizza place to eat. And we ran into the middle sun. And uh, I said, hey, man, great to see you. What are you up to these days? And he goes, man, I, I live in Lexington. I work, I work at a bar. <sighs> we laugh, right? But I cried. Because of the tragedy that their, that their legalism led to rebellion. The very thing that she was worried about became her reality because she was worried about the wrong things. We saw so many kids that were far from God, be reconciled to God. One story I can just think of is this kid named Ron Stern. Ron Stern was a turd. He, he, I've got so many stories about Ron Stern. He, he was just... A hellion, a rebel. And I just never stopped. I never stopped pursuing Ron Sturm. I always prayed for Ron Sturm. Anytime I saw him, he was on the soccer team that I was the character coach of. I saw him. Ends up, he gets saved. He's in, he, he, he graduates college. He's hit rock bottom. He's an alcoholic. He gets saved. And the Lord has radically used him, radically changed him and used him in the lives to change others. And now you should, you should just see, you should see him. He just, he just glows Jesus. The Lord, the, the, the Lord is good. And so when you see God moving and working, don't, don't be against him because you think, oh, this isn't exactly how I like it. No, if, it's, if Scripture allows it and it's good and it's right, be for it. So let's get in the parable, verse 3. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Here's the next, next idea, big idea, is that we search for what we value. It's clear in this passage that the shepherd values his sheep. We read Ezekiel chapter 34 uh, to begin this where, it, where God is saying, hey, I value my sheep and I'm going to send a shepherd to get them, to shepherd them. He's, it's, it's showing him that I, eventually I'm sending Jesus, right? We see this analogy that Jesus is using, that this shepherd values his sheep, so he leaves the 99 and he goes out and he finds the one. And he searches until he finds it and then he brings it back and he rejoices. These are two of my pocket knives. They have a very large difference in value to me. This pocket knife, it's a case. Pretty dull. My dad gave this to me for my 17th birthday. Uh, my dad died when I was 17. It was one of the last gifts that my dad gave me. And so it's in, it has value. It's important to me. And um, I toted this knife for 17 years. So from when I was 17 to when I was 34 years old, uh, I toted this knife with me every day. Everywhere I went, this knife was in my pocket. But if you know me, you know that I lose things. And I lost this knife a hundred times. And when I would lose this knife... And I would find, oh no, I've lost my knife. Guess what I would do? I would search for it. 
right? I would, I would, we would be at somebody's house, and I would have been sitting on their, their furniture, and you'd lose it, and all of a sudden I'm digging in their couch cushions, and they're embarrassed because I'm like pulling up Cheetos and coins, and you know, I'm sorry, I got to find my knife, you know, it's whatever's there, you know, looking under stuff, they're going to find it, I don't care, I got to find my knife. And do you know how long I would look for it? Until I found it. Because it, it mattered to me. And so finally it dawned on me, if this knife matters so much, put it in the safe. Stop losing it. So I went and bought a bunch of these. This is a little SOG knife. They come in a pack of two. They're like 15 bucks, right? And I lose one of these. Do you know what I do? I go to the drawer and I get another one. And I put it in my pocket. And then like two weeks later, Jennifer shows up and she's like, hey, I found your knife. <laughs> Thanks, babe. And I take it and I put it in the drawer. If I lose this knife, I don't think anything about this knife. It has no special value. I mean, it's actually meant, I have meant to be lost. It's just a cheap little piece of metal that's great to do what pocket knives are meant to do. This one's got value. There's a reality that we, we search for what we value. And when we don't search for some, something, we show where our values are. I can look at your life. And I can see how you're spending your time, how you're budgeting your time, how you're budgeting your money, how you're budgeting your, your, your life, your free time, what you're searching for. And I can see where, where you are with Christ. We value for what we search. Listen, God created us when he saved us to be a missionary people, to be a people that are about the proclamation of the good news of the gospel, about the proclamation of God's glory. And so, we, who were once lost sheep, who were once stray, God used in his power, he drew us, he found us, he brought them to himself. He used somebody to do it. The Bible says that there's how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That people come to faith in Christ Jesus because God's people answer the call and they minister and they bring. They leave the 99 to find the one. And so, we're to be a people that answer the call of the Great Commission. To go, therefore, to all nations, making disciples and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that He's commanded and that the Holy Spirit is with us to the very end of the age. We're, we're a people that should answer that call. What does that mean? Does that mean that one person does it? Does it mean you have to be special called missionary? No, it means that, listen, when we gather on Sunday morning, when we leave... We're the 99 leaving to go find the one. The one is the person that you don't, that doesn't know Christ. It, it could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker. It could be a, a friend from a, some hobby that you do. It could be an acquaintance. It could be the random person that you sit beside on the airplane. The, the one is the, 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 the one that, we, that doesn't know the Lord. And we are sent out to find them. And we're sent as a missionary people. We, we often, though, have the one walk in our doors. On a weekly basis, people walk into this building that the Lord is moving and working in their hearts. The Lord is, the Lord is drawing them unto Himself. 
There's something in their life. They're looking for a hope, and they're without hope, and they come in our doors. The one is walking into the building with a 99. And half the time, I feel like in the American church, we'll be in our little circles, talking in our own friendships and our own relationships, meeting our own needs, and won't even turn around and welcome the one into the 99. May it never be in our church. May we repent, if we've, wherever we're guilty of doing it, that we would be a people that has our eyes set on finding the one, whether we're here or at the gas station or, or on a mission trip to the ends of the earth. May we be a people that are looking for the one. Here's my next big idea. Searching requires sacrifice. Searching to find the one is going to require you some sort of sacrifice. This week, Thursday morning, we came back on Friday. Steve Anderson and uh, John Owen and I went down to Durango uh, to visit our church planting team that's planting there on Durango. And we visited with the Samsons. I, I got to see Josh and Jenya Wisda. I got to hold Manoa. She slept in my arms for like 45 minutes. It was great. Um, but it, there's some pain in that trip. When Buddy and I, you know, Buddy, Buddy helped plant Overland. He was here from the, the beginning. He moved with us when we came out to plant. When he brings up to me the, the moving to plant Overland Church Durango, we had a couple major concerns, and obviously he and Brooke felt them, but as a pastor, I felt them too, and it was their children. The very first people that we were thinking about and, and making a, a sacrifice to leave the 99 and go find the one was their kids, particularly their teenagers. And so you've got Ainsley, who's in high school and trip that would be in high school, and you've got then middle schoolers, and like that is a hard time to move. Right, we're, we're, We see the friends and the deep connection and, man, our, the, the health of our student ministry and our kids' ministry and seeing just the love and community they have. And you're thinking, man, if we leave and go, what if they don't find that? What if they get in with the wrong crowd? What if, what if they go through some sort of anxiety or depression because we move? Like, those are legitimate questions, right? And so, rather than letting those things be excuses not to leave the 99 and find the one, they began to pray about them. We began to pray about them and ask the Lord to do it. You know, our, our, our kids, my boys, John Owen and James, have, have known the Samsons and lived life with the Samsons since they were real small. We've got really cute pictures of them trick-or-treating together before we moved. They're friends. Got a deep connection. The Samsons didn't tell Tripp that John Owen was coming. They knew, he knew I was coming, but he didn't know John o was coming. And so I've got a video of this on my phone. Uh, we walk up to the, to the door, and John Owen knocks on the door, and Tripp comes to the door and opens it, and you should see his face. I mean, it's just elation. He's like grabbing his hair. Oh, my God. You know, they're hugging, and, and they're like, it's like this reunion. And Ainsley comes in there, and they're like, you're so tall, and your voice is so deep. And, you know, it's like laughing, and, and there's just like this exuberation around this like reuniting. And... Uh, I actually let John Owen spend the night with Tripp, and they stayed up most of the night talking. Uh, John, Tripp had to go to school, and they, he only got four hours of sleep because they were talking. They were catching they were things to catch up on in life. You think there wasn't sacrifice? 
You think they didn't feel that sacrifice? You think our, our kids in our church didn't feel the sacrifice? Their kids don't feel the sacrifice? Can I tell you something? I'm so proud of the Sampson kids and the Williams kids who moved down there. They're the real missionaries in the bunch. They have reached so many people and have made so many relationships and so many friendships. Uh, they, they, they had some sort of uh, homecoming gathering last night. And you look at all these kids in the pictures. Um, they, they've made friends. Tonight, they're having, Overland Durango is having their first public ministry uh, as, as a core team, inviting others into it. And it's a student ministry event. Because their students have gone down there and reached their peers, loved their peers, built relationships with their, their peers. They didn't go down there thinking, hey, we're, we're going to reach Durango by reaching teenagers. No, we, we said we're going down there to reach Fort Lewis and, and the community. That's how we think. We're collegiate focused. We, we love the campus. We love the community. Well, guess who's a bit, significant part of the community? Durango High School. And they've gone in there, and tonight, a ministry will start because of those kids' faithfulness. And so... It requires sacrifice, but the sacrifice will be worth it. I just tell you this. When you are obedient to the Lord, when you come to faith in Him, when you make disciples, when you live out His word, when you leave the 99 to find the one, you will find no greater joy in life than being obedient to the things of the Lord. So let's continue. Let's look at verse, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Here's my next big idea, is that we search until we find that which is lost. Notice this woman. Um, presumably, you would think this woman may be poor because she's like looking for a coin, but... This coin would have been a day's wages. You know, in, 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 our, in our world, losing a, a day's wages is significant for some of us, others of us, like, well, no big deal. Many people in our culture live what we would say is month, month to month. But in that culture, you live day to day. And so you've got to think a coin mattered. A, a, a coin is, is, is a lot of value. A coin means living for her. And here... She, she drops this coin on her dirt floor and she sweeps until she finds it. When we lose something, we lose something that's valuable, we look for it until we find it. When we don't find it, we don't stop looking. We keep looking. You know, often from... This parable of the 99 and the 1, you'll, you'll hear people say, like, who's your one? Like, who's your one person that you're praying for? Who's your one person that you know is lost, that you want to see come to Christ? In my life, I've had a lot of those ones. I've, I've got a journal written down of a lot of people's names on it that I know are far from Christ, that, that I want to see come to Christ. But for a long time, my brother was at the top of my one list. My brother was the, the, one of the people in my life who I desired to see to come to Christ the most. And my brother was 12 years older than me. And uh, we spent a lot of time hunting in, 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 the, in the woods together. And we would go on trips together. And I, I just looked at those trips. And any time that we had together, there's an opportunity 
to see him to come to faith. It was like, I'm, I want to share the good news of Jesus with him. I want to see him turn from the idolatry in his heart and turn to Jesus. I want to see him stop worshiping false gods, but worship the one true and living God. And so I was just super intentional. Anytime I would be around my brother to, to hey, I'm away from the 99. I'm here to find the one. You know, um, a moment I'll never forget. October 17th, 2021, standing right over there. That last song that we sang, Run to the Father. I heard it for the first time. Josh Wisda played it. I'd never heard it. And there's a line in there that says, My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again. I had got devastating news that my brother needed a heart transplant, that my brother was, was in the hospital, that my brother didn't get that heart transplant, he was going to die. And I was leaving, I was going to preach that morning and leave right after church to go to the airport to fly to share with my one. And I knew in that moment, like, you know, I knew while I was going, I wasn't, I wasn't going to pray that he would get better, I was praying to go that he would, he would be saved, right? That, that, he would, that the Lord would save him, that he would no longer be lost. And so... I fly that afternoon to Atlanta, and I drive up to Gainesville, Georgia, where he was in the hospital. I couldn't get in to see him because of COVID stuff until the next morning. And so I wake up the next morning. I run around the hospital seven times. I don't know, I mean, you don't know that has really any real spiritual significance, but hey, it worked for the Israelites. And so I run, I run around seven times. I'm praying, Lord, save him. I go up into the hospital room, I sit by his bed, I run all the nurses out, and I share the gospel with him, and he repents of his sins, and he places his faith in the Lord Jesus. I searched for him until he was found. That's how we search for the lost, until they are found, until all hear, till all know. When we planted... Durango, we sent that team out, 20-something of them, down to Durango. Like, it hurts. You feel the sacrifice that comes with that. And I'm going to talk about this in family meeting on November the 5th and just some of the things that we strategically have to do to, to help rebuild our foundation from sending them out. Numerically, we've, we've recovered. We never even saw a difference. Like, the Lord just gave us 22 more, but there's weaknesses in our church. There's weaknesses in leadership. And what are the things that we've got to do? Like, we, we feel that. There may be this temptation to sit back and go, man, we've, maybe we shouldn't send out another. Maybe we need to hit this point before we're ready to send out. We flew down on Thursday uh, just by chance as we were flying down. I shouldn't say chance. Nothing's chance. Like by God's sovereign plan, not ours, we're flying down. And I look down and I, we fly right over Gunnison. And I see Western college right down there and I mean I'm right over the football field I see you know I can see it we're we're only like 5,000 feet above it like you can see it really well and I, I just looked down and I said man there's one of our we're flying over one of our church planning targets that place needs a church that's set on reaching the college campus in that community we left Durango same thing they give us a different flight pattern, and this time, rather than like a direct flight, we fly, and we leave Durango, and we fly 
kind of just barely northeast, like east-northeast, and we fly right over Alamosa. And I look down, and there's Adams State. There's a, there's a, a college campus that needs a church that's got a heart to reach, the, reach college students. This wasn't planned at all, nor even a place that we pray for, but we went over just north of Trinidad, and then we turned up and went like over Pueblo all the way back into Greeley. And I looked down, and there's CSU Pueblo right over the stadium again. There's, there's a campus. that needs people to share the gospel. They need, they need people to leave the 99 to find the one. We're going to search until we find the lost. And so here's what I'm telling you. As we read this passage, as we see what Jesus is doing, we must be willing to send out search parties. We must be willing to send out missionaries, to send out church planning groups, to send out church plan, uh, search parties until the lost are found. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his, his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The next big idea is the goal of the search is for the sinner to be saved. This is why Jesus came. It's the goal. It's the, it's the mission that people would come to know Christ. That they would turn from the world and they would look at Jesus who came, who lived for them, who lived a, a perfect life for them, who died on the cross for our sins, that he who did not know sin, he who had never sinned, took on the sins of the world. He was crucified. He was buried. He was put in the grave. On the third day, God raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, that you will be saved. And it's at that moment when you believe that the Holy Spirit moves and works in your heart and he transforms you from the inside out. You become a new creation in Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. The life you once lived in the flesh, you now live by faith in the Son of God. And so, this is the goal. Maybe you're here today, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. I would invite you to do it. I would invite you to cry out to God in prayer and say, Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I want to repent. I want to turn from the idols of the world, and I want to follow the one true and living God. When you do that, the Bible says that the way you tell the world is baptism. Baptism tells the world, it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. And so tell the world that you're going to follow Jesus. And then guess what happens? When you're one of the ones and you become the 99, you're now a part of the search party. You get to go back out. And so listen to this, that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the, the 99 that are righteous. That God finds joy. He gets glory when people come to faith in him. When he's loved them and he's drawn them to them and they say yes and they follow him, he's brought glory. Listen to verse 9. 
When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just as I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here's my last big idea. Is that we rejoice when people repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus. For the church, there should be no greater joy than watching people cross over from death to life. That we ought to people that, that don't begrudge what God, God is doing. We don't grumble about what God is doing. But that we rejoice at the way that God is moving and working. That we're expectant that God would move and work. That God would seek and save the lost. It is what he came to do. Here's a, a few points of application for us this morning. If you're here today. And you're saved. And you would say, I, I can remember I was the one. And I remember uh, joining the flock, being brought in, being reconciled out of my rebellion. You ought to rejoice at your own salvation. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let those that have seen God move and work in their life, we should be joyful people that rejoice in the works of God. So when we worship in here in a second, you should worship out of thanksgiving, out of adoration for who God is and how he saved you. But two, we should be people who rejoice who have great joy when we see. We should be celebratory of, of seeing lives changed. And we should be willing in that celebration to realize we got to step up and disciple and help that, that new believer come and walk in the Lord. Help them to be faithful. Help them to be a Christian that does the will of God. And three, we must be people who are willing to leave the 99 to find the one. That we're willing to make the sacrifices necessary to proclaim the good news. That we would be people who live to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is, it is good. That it is rich. That it shows us how we ought to live life. But more than that, it shows us how to, to know you in salvation. Lord, let us, through your word, seek you out. Let us worship you as the treasure in which you are. Father, make us a people that are obedient people, that are not just our hearers of your word only, but doers also. That we would read and heed your word, that we would be obedient to you, that we would be people who are willing to leave the 99 and follow the follow, Find, to find the one that we're willing to put ourselves out there to make ourselves have sacrifices to do uncomfortable things for you and for your glory and your honor Lord would you move and work in our church would you help us to be more like you today and Lord would you seek and save the lost would you help us to be a people who leave the 99 to find the one in Jesus name I pray amen let's stand and sing a song of response